One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. church. Happy Sunday to you if you are joining us live. We are so glad that you're with us today. Wherever you're at, uh, it's great that we can connect. And I know some of you are joining us in house church. Some of you are maybe joining us at home with your family. Maybe you're tuning in some other time. And we are so glad that you are with us today. And uh, I just want to say a special welcome to all of our guests. Maybe you're joining us for the first time. Uh, You have just stumbled upon this. A friend has shared it with you. Welcome. We are glad that you are with us. And uh, we're not just a YouTube channel, Facebook account. We're a a local church community and uh, here in the Orlando area. And we are passionate about living the Jesus life together. That's our vision. That's our mission, really, to reproduce followers of Jesus. And uh, all of you who are a part of our church, you know that we have kind of begun a new rhythm, a great step forward for our church uh, that we have begun after almost a year of not being in a weekly gathering rhythm. We've been able to take a step forward, moving from monthly gatherings now to bi-weekly gatherings. And I just want to remind you, we are actively looking for a building, looking for a place, not because God needs a building to meet with us, but because we need a uh, a building to meet together. And so we've launched our Vision Builders Initiative. And I want to just say thank you so much to all of you uh, for your uh, faithfulness, not only in your regular tithes and offerings, uh, but also uh, in your contributions towards Vision Builders. We're so excited about what God is going to do, and we want to keep you posted uh, as things progress. So stay tuned each week um, to uh, this uh, video, to this stream, uh, joining us bi-weekly. And of course, next Sunday, April 4th, we're going to be back at the Winter Park Community Center for Easter. And so I want to encourage you, plan to come, plan to bring somebody. We're going to celebrate Jesus. And it's going to be an incredible, incredible time. Well, uh, again, we're so glad that you're with us today. I know this format may be a little different. I'm sitting at a desk today, uh, a, a change of scenery. and uh, But that's just because we're kind of changing things up a little bit. As I said, we're in a new season. And we're going to have a little bit of a new structure. So our church online service uh, each week, uh, we're going to be joining together for the word. And we want to encourage you to engage in worship. Although we won't be uh, streaming live worship every week, we're going to be providing some great resources for you. Uh, We have a Spotify worship playlist of all your favorite songs, the songs that we sing as a church when we gather together. And so you can just tune into that on Sundays uh, or throughout the week. If you're in house church, you can just tell your smart speaker, whatever device you have to play, whatever that song is. All right. Uh, And we're also going to have a YouTube playlist of all of our worship teams, uh, various songs that we have recorded and will continue to be recording. And so um, wherever you're watching this, you can pop over to our YouTube. YouTube channel on Sundays or throughout the week and really engage in a time of worship. Or if you got somebody in your house church that uh, plays a guitar, pull out the guitar. Uh, however you do it, we want to encourage you to have a time of worship. But now we want to turn to the word. If you have your Bibles, grab them with me and turn to the book of Hebrews today. 
Hebrews uh, chapter 10, and I want to read a few verses from verse 19 to verse 25. And uh, this is the, the last message in our series that we've been calling Keep Open House. Uh, Keep Open House. And I shared with you at the beginning of this series that God really spoke to me uh, at the end of 2020 as we've been in this weird season. And I'm saying, God, what does church look like in the future? Uh, what are you calling us to? Uh, is it just to get back into gatherings the way that we have been doing it in the past? Uh, we love that. We're, we're able to do that again. We're looking forward to doing it more. Is that what it is? Is it house church? Is it church online? What does it look like? And I felt like the Lord said, it's all of those things. And he gave me really uh, uh, an immediate just picture of four spaces in a house, the front porch, the family room, the table, and the bedroom. And those are each really movements from one space to another of greater nearness and greater intimacy uh, from the, you know, the front porch is where you connect with your neighbors, the world around you, drawing into the family room where a family gathers and spends time together as a family to the table, the place where we are fed, the place where we grow, and then ultimately into the bedroom, the place of intimacy. And God wants to bring all of us in close closer to a greater place of intimacy, uh, ultimately so that he can send us out. I said it this way. He, he calls us in so he can send us out. And so we've been taking some time kind of unpacking each one of those spaces. And uh, last week I spoke to you about drawing near out of Ephesians chapter two, where Paul says, you used to be outsiders, but now through Jesus, you've become insiders. And I want to pick up on that same thought today. So if you're taking notes, you can call this drawing near part two. Okay. And I want to read out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the author of Hebrews says this, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us. He did it for us through the veil. That is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. If you have your Bible, underline that phrase. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we, as we uh, draw around your word, God, we want to draw near to your spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Let our time be more than just information. Let it be inspiration. Let it be more than my words. Let it be your words into our hearts, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us draw near, the author of Hebrews says. And uh, we started that thought last week, I talked to you about relationship and drawing near. I gave you the example of when I first began my relationship that was a quick movement towards marriage with Jennifer. And I remember the first time I reached out to grab her hand, the first time I was drawing near and how I was 
fearful, I was afraid, I was nervous, and, um, but now there is such confidence, there is such freedom, there's such uh, love in our relationship. And really that's what God wants for every one of us. He wants us to learn how to draw near to him, to learn how to draw near to his presence. And uh, here the author of Hebrews says that, let us draw near because of what Jesus has done, because he's paid the price, uh, because he's made the way. Now we can draw near into the presence of God. And he's using language that is right out of the Old Testament. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is directed towards, as the name implies, Hebrew, Jewish Christians. And, and the author of Hebrews is using all of this Old Testament, uh, Old Covenant imagery really to expose and explain what Jesus has done for us. And he's using this imagery right out of the temple. Uh, let us draw near. We've been cleansed. We've been washed. No longer do we have to go through the ritual of washing with water, but our hearts have been washed through the blood of Jesus. We don't have to make a sacrifice in order to access or in order to atone for our sin. Jesus has made it. So now we can come near and, and, and I know we can hear that and we can take it for granted, but I want you to understand that for the readers of the book of Hebrews, this was, this was mind blowing information. No longer do we have to be distant. Now we can draw near. And, and, and I want you to see this. I know for us today, 2021, most of us probably not Jewish. We can hear this. We can think, well, what does that really have to do with me? Temple. I'm just kind of tuning that out. But every time you hear temple in the Bible, I want you to think of this life with God, life with God. Every time you hear temple, I want you to think life with God. And that matters to us because the life we long for is ultimately life with God. And I want to do a few things today. I, I, I'm going to, there's going to be a couple of parts to this message. First is going to be the scriptural part. The second is going to be the cultural part. And then the third is going to be the practical part. So first I want to look at, I just want to look at this theme of temple throughout the Bible. And I don't have time to go through every passage, but I want you to see that this theme of temple runs from the very beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Now you may hear this and you may think, Justin, I don't care. As I said last week, you know, you probably didn't wake up on a Sunday morning and think, I hope he talks about the architecture of the temple because it's so relevant to my life. No, you probably didn't think that, but here's the reason I'm doing this. Number one, because I want you to understand the Bible. And, and, and oftentimes if we don't understand the themes of all of scripture, we'll never understand the parts of it. It's kind of like walking into a movie and seeing one scene, but you don't know the whole story. And, and the scene doesn't make any sense. And oftentimes we struggle to understand the Bible because we don't understand what are these themes that God wants us to understand in order to understand his purpose and his plan for us And temple or life with God is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. And so I want you to understand it because I want you to understand the Bible. I also want you to understand it because it will help you to understand worship. Let me tell you this, worship is more than a few songs to warm up a service while people get their coffee and make their way into the room. Worship is about entering into the presence of God. Worship is about accessing life with God. And so I don't have time to unpack 
everything, but I want you to think with me for just a second, the story of the Bible, and I'm going to just highlight a few parts. If you uh, want to take notes, I'll, I'll give you a few scriptures to write down, but we're going to move through this really quickly because I don't have the time to explain it all. But if I did, here's how it would go. If I had time to explain the theme of temple, I'd start in the book of Genesis. God creates the earth. He blesses it. He calls it good. And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter two, the Bible says, okay, maybe I will turn there in Genesis chapter two, verse 15. The Bible says that God put man in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. So God creates the world. He blesses it. He calls it good. And he puts man in it. And God is there with man. Uh, he is living with mankind and, and man is experiencing life with God or the way I like to say it is the good life. You know, we often talk about the good life and many people have different definitions for that. But ultimately, the reason we all have a longing for the good life is because the good life is God's intention for us. But we'll never experience the good life apart from life with God. So he puts man in the garden. He gives them everything they could have ever wanted. I mean, food, just hanging on the trees for better or for worse. They have this freedom. I mean, they're walking around naked and they're just hanging out, husband and wife. I mean, it is like eternal bliss, okay? They have this sense of identity. Uh, they, they are image bearers of God. They have this sense of purpose. They've been put on the earth to expand this garden to fill the earth. They have a, a sense of uh, status. Wow, I'm, I'm created by God. I'm appointed by God. I've got this position. I mean, that's better than any corner office. They were the ones called by God on the earth. Talk about a a position on the org chart, okay? They're right there under God. And so they had the good life. But if you know the story, you know that it wasn't long before they turned away from God. And here was the temptation. I want you to listen to this. We often think about the temptation in the garden as, uh, you know, Eve and Adam just ate the fruit and you think maybe they were hungry. No, the temptation was actually this, that they could have the good life apart from God that they could have the blessings that God gave them without the blesser himself. And ultimately, that's what every religion is. That's what every uh, form of self-righteousness and self-effort, ultimately it boils down to, I want the good life without God. And that's the temptation that they fell into, that they ate the fruit uh, that was uh, good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and it would make one wise like God, because when you're like God, you don't need God. Okay. So they wanted the good life, but they didn't want God. If you know the story, you know, that didn't work out well. They get banished from the garden. And as a result, all of the earth comes under a curse. There's this brokenness that we are now experiencing, not the good life, but we're experiencing the brokenness of sinful humanity. That's why within every person, there's this longing and an eternal dissatisfaction because we're not made to live in the brokenness of this world. We were intended for life with God. And so Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. They have lost that place of God's presence. But I'm glad to tell you the story doesn't end there. That's just the beginning. All right. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God appears to a man 
And uh, I'll say this, the garden, as we're thinking about this theme of temple throughout the Bible, the garden is the temple prototype. God with man, life with God. It's the temple prototype. In Genesis chapter 12, God begins his, his uh, restoration, recovery plan. There's a lot of conversation right now in our country about economic recovery, uh, you know, all of the cultural recovery. Well, God had a recovery plan and he appeared to a man named Abraham, Abram at the time. And he said, Abram, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to go to the land that I show you and I'm going to be with you, Abram, and I'm going to bless bless you. All right. So God was restoring to Abram. Uh, he was promising to Abram to restore what was lost in the garden of Eden. And the Bible tells us immediately in Genesis chapter 12, verse seven, Abram's response of faith, as he responded in faith, the Bible says this, that he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse eight, it goes on to say that he, uh, that there he went to Bethel and there he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. The word Bethel means house of God, house of God. And so we see this thought of life with God that was lost in the garden being restored to Abram and to his descendants. And again, I don't have time and I'm trying not to get bogged down in all of the details. But if you know the story, you know that that uh, that really became the pattern for Abram's descendants, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that God promised that, that he would bless them, that he would restore to them the life that they longed for, the good life, that life of blessing and purpose and provision and, and significance and everything that we long for, God would give to them. And so we see this unfolding throughout the story of Abram's descendants, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you know the story, it continues that eventually his descendants are taken into slavery or they, they go to Egypt and it ends up becoming slavery. Initially, they go there um, for provision and it ends up becoming a place of bondage. It, really, it's a picture for every single one of us that oftentimes we go to something other than God seeking the good life. And when we go to something other than God, trying to get the good life that God promises us, what was intended or appears to be a blessing ends up becoming a bondage. But God again shows up and he uh, calls on a man named Moses. He appears to him at the burning bush and he says, Moses, take off, take off your sandals. This place is holy ground. Again, it's the presence of God. And God calls Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, we see that God delivers them out and in Exodus chapter 13, as Israel, the children of Israel are leaving Egypt, the Bible says that God goes with them. He goes with them. He leads them with a, a pillar of smoke by day, a pillar of fire by night. I'm, I'm emphasizing the presence of God throughout this story because they, they were longing free, for freedom and that was found in the presence of God. We see that continue throughout the story of Israel. And so if we, if the garden was the, the uh, temple prototype, uh, we would probably say that Abram's family was the temple restored, God restoring his presence back to a people. And uh, as the story of Abraham's family continues, they move into the promised land and we see what could be called the temple established. 
God moved on Moses' heart to establish the tabernacle, the place where his presence would dwell, that he would live among Israel. And ultimately, in David's heart, that he would build the temple or that through his son Solomon, he would build a temple. And God's plan was that he would dwell among his people and, and that Israel would become a people that would demonstrate the good life to the world, that they would demonstrate what it looked like to live with God in charge, to live that life with God. And uh, the Old Testament is really this story of perpetually Israel floundering between wanting God, then being lured away by the temptations of good things other than God, uh, other than God. And so there's this perpetual back and forth. They're being pulled away from uh, God, pulled after good things, rebelling against God. Ultimately, God, uh, God's ultimate redemption plan is seen through Jesus. And we see in John chapter one, um, this thought of temple being fulfilled. Jesus was the fulfillment of the temple. He was the picture and the, the, the personification of life with God because he was God and he was the only one that was sinless so that he could live perpetually in the presence of God. And so John chapter one, John opens his gospel differently than the other gospels. Uh, the other gospels tell the story historically, but John really tells it thematically. And he says this, that in the beginning was the word and the word was God, the word being Jesus. And then in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, the original language, it would be better interpreted tabernacled, set up his tent. He came and established his presence that Jesus was, as the Old Testament was, the presence of God in a building in the, in the tabernacle or in the temple. Now we see the presence of God, not in a building, but in a body, a real flesh and blood body that walked around the earth, that touched people, that hugged people, that healed people, that loved people. That is what it looks like to live life with God. If you want to know what life with God looks like, look at Jesus. He is the embodiment of life with God because he is God. And ultimately he came not just to demonstrate that to us, but to make a way for us to be restored back to life with God. And when he died on the cross, he was atoning for our sins so that we could be restored back to life with God so that we could experience no longer is Jesus or is life with God limited just to the body of Jesus. But now we have been made the body of Christ. As the Bible says, we as the church, we who have put our faith in Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so if Jesus was the temple fulfilled, now we as the church are the temple expanding throughout the world. No longer is Life with God limited just to a geographic place or even to one body. The, the life with God has been released into every single one of us. So there is life with God in your neighborhood. When you walk into a school, your school building, if you're a student, your workplace, if you're an employee or an employer, you are demonstrating what it looks like to live life with God. That's why Jesus says that we should let our light so shine that people may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. In other words, we are to be the walking temple 
that demonstrates what it looks like to live life with God. And ultimately, the Bible tells us that there will be an enduring temple, that Jesus will return, that he will restore the new heavens and the new earth. And the Bible says this in Revelation 21, verse three, that the dwelling place of God will be with people eternally. Now, I know you hear that and you probably think, Justin, again, why are you talking all of this temple stuff? I'm not Jewish. That doesn't apply to me. But again, I want you to hear life with God. And I'm saying that to you because I want you to understand the Bible and I want you to understand worship. And here's the issue. The reason we need to understand worship is because everybody worships. We're talking about drawing near. And, and the fact is that we draw near to God through worship, but everybody worships. The question is not whether we worship. The question is, who do we worship? You will worship something or someone. You will draw near to something or someone. Uh, let, me, let me put it in language that you may be more familiar with. Worship may sound over-spiritual, but here's the kind of language that we say. If I could just get this, then I'd be satisfied. If I could just get there, then I would experience life the way I, I, I want to live. And, and so there is, every one of us worships and we all worship at a temple. And I'm wanting you to see this because ultimately this affects the way we worship God. You see, everybody is a worshiper and there are counterfeit temples. There are counterfeit temples. There is a, perhaps uh, for the sake of simplicity, I'll say there's three uh, idols that each have their own counterfeit temples. Think with me for a second about the idol of uh, possessions, the idol of possessions, the idol of just having more stuff, better stuff, newer stuff, more money, bigger house, better car. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but the temptation is to take what can be a good thing and put it in the place that only God should be. So, so there can be this drive in our hearts that if I could just get to that income bracket, if I could just get that car, if I could just get that bigger house or cooler house, newer house, designer house, whatever it is, if I just had that, then I'd be satisfied. It is the idol of possessions. And there are temples for the idol of possessions. Have you ever been to Rodeo Drive in LA? It is the temple, a temple, the idol of possessions. Um, there, there is, uh, you can see this really, if you ever go into any store, if you go into a store, they are wanting to consume you with a feeling that if I could just get that, that would give me the life that I would, that I always want. Apple is preaching a gospel. If you get that next device, new iPhone, new thing, and Samsung is too for all you Samsung fans. Okay. Uh, if I could just get that, then it would satisfy me. And we all know that feeling you get it and it just doesn't satisfy, but it is the, it is the idol of possessions and there are temples where people go to try to experience this life that they've always longed for. There's also priests. There are people that are uh, demonstrating what it looks like. What is a priest? In the Old Testament, a priest was the person that represented to the rest of the world what it looked like to live life with God. Now, if we're thinking about 
this thought of temple and this thought of worship. And I, I'm, I'm speaking this to you because I want you to understand worship because everybody worships. The guy that drives the Ferrari down Rodeo Drive, he is nothing wrong with a Ferrari, but the guy or the or the woman that is carrying that bag, that's the fanciest bag that everybody else looks at. And they just think if I had that man, if I could get to where they are, then I'd be satisfied. What are they? They're a priest. They are the priest of the idol of possessions. They're demonstrating to the world this false gospel that if you just had this, then you'd be satisfied. And there are sacrifices. Again, I'm sharing this because I know we say, well, I don't relate to the temple. No, we do. We do. We do worship. We do have priests that we want to be like because they are demonstrating that life that we long for. And we make sacrifices. We give our money. We give our time. We give our energy. The, the stock trader on Wall Street that is working 90 hours a week, slaving away, hoping just to get to that place in life. What is he doing? He's sacrificing. He is sacrificing his time, his life on the altar of worship to the God of possessions. Everybody's a worshiper. Everybody's a worshiper. You are a worshiper. You may not think you're a worshiper or you may even think you're a Christian worshiper, but you can be a, a, a um, Christian entitled, but be a functional worshiper of a false God. I know I may be stepping on toes today, but I want you to understand that you are a worshiper and what you sacrifice to is who you are worshiping. I'm talking about this because I'm talking about drawing near and I'm talking about this because I want us to understand that church is not about coming to a building on a Sunday. It's about encountering the presence of God, not because there's anything wrong with a building. We want to get a building, but I want you to know that if we have a building, but we don't have God, we've missed the whole point. All right. We need God. The life you long for is life with God. And so there's the idol of possessions. I'm talking about the cultural application now. There is the idol of pleasure. I'm going to move quicker. Okay. There's the idol of pleasure. The idol of pleasure is really, that's the cult of sexuality. The cult of sexuality that just says, if I, if I could just experience this pleasure, if I could experience this, this uh, feeling that would satisfy. That's why people find their identity in their sexuality, because it is a God. It is an idol. And uh, don't don't believe me. Um, just um, just go down to South Beach in Miami. Now, I've not been there, uh, but I, I know kind of what the culture is like. And it is a it is a temple that is demonstrating the worship of or, you know, we could fill in the blank with some other you know, sexual sort of a place where people are demonstrating. If you just, if you just look like this, if you just look like this and you were appealing to people, then you would have the life you've always wanted. So why do, why are people sometimes driven to have a certain type of body? Nothing wrong with exercising, nothing wrong with being in good shape. We should do that out of honor to God. But the counterfeit is Based on the idea, if I could just get to that place, then I'd be satisfied. Here's the bad news. Wherever you get to, your body is breaking down. If you are putting your hope in your appeal or in your experience, 
of pleasure, ultimately you will be perpetually dissatisfied. So there are temples to the idol of sexuality, to the idol of pleasure. There are priestly garments. Uh, And I won't describe what the priestly garments are, but it is revealing this idea that if you just look like this, this desirable appearance, then you will be satisfied. And it's a false gospel because the life that you long for is life with God. No partner, no experience, no number of partners or variety of partners will ever satisfy the longing you have for intimacy because the longing you have for intimacy is a longing that only God can fulfill. And so we can experience the temple of pleasure. We can experience the temple of position, the idol of position. If I could just get to that position, if I could just get to, you know, if I just had that title after my name, if I just had that, um, you know, level of social status, it's what the Bible calls the pride of life. We're talking about these idols. The Bible refers to it this way, the, the uh, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. If I just got to this place, then I'd really be satisfied. Maybe that's for you. If I just got married, then I'd be satisfied. If I just got single, if I, if I just wasn't married, I, I'd be satisfied. Or if I just had this education or if I just had that position in the org chart, then I'd be satisfied. It's the pride of life that never satisfies. And here's the reason I'm wanting you to hear this, because if you look for the satisfaction you long for in something other than God, what is good will never replace the longing for God. And what was intended to be a blessing will become a bondage, will become a bondage. And that's why Jesus came. Here's the good news of the gospel, that the life we long for with God has been made available to us. You don't have to sacrifice your life trying to get that status, that possession, that relationship that will ultimately never satisfy because the life you long for has been made available to you and I through Jesus Christ. And what Jesus has accomplished, the Holy Spirit has applied to our lives that we can live daily in his presence. That's why the psalmist says in your presence, there's fullness of joy fullness of joy. And so we have the presence of God available to us. The question is, are we experiencing it? Are we appropriating the blessing that God has given to us in the presence of God? And now I want to talk about the practical side. So how do we draw near? How do we draw near? I want to give you four ways that I believe we draw near to God so that we can experience the life we long for. The first thing is this. We need to repent. We need to repent. Jesus said it this way. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, life with God, the the life you long for is available, but you first need to repent. What's he saying? You need to turn away from your faults sources of satisfaction, and you need to recognize that they will leave you perpetually dissatisfied. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to turn to God. He is the eternal source of satisfaction. So we need to repent. We need to have a change of thought that results in a change of direction. You can again be a, 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 a 
Christian, a cultural Christian, but be a functional idolater by looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. We need to repent, turn to God. Number two, we need to receive. Not only do we repent, but we receive by faith in Jesus, the life we long for, that eternal satisfaction, everything we have, we receive by faith. That's why the author, that's why Paul in Hebrews chapter two, verse eight says, you've been saved. That means you've been brought out of bondage. You've been saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, the gift And so we have to receive that gift through Jesus Christ. We need to repent. We need to receive. Number three, we need to respond. We need to respond. How do we respond? How do we respond? We respond in worship. When we recognize that the life we long for is life with God, we become worshipers. And I told you earlier that everybody is a worshiper. If you wonder what you worship, look at your bank statement. You wonder what you worship, look at your schedule. You wonder what you worship, look at, look at how you're giving your life because you are giving value to something and that's the heart of worship. In fact, even the word worship is a derivative of worth-ship. What is worth the most in your life? And so we no longer sacrifice to atone for our sins. Jesus paid the price once and for all, but we now sacrifice to access the presence of God through praise and worship. And many people never access what's been made available to them because they don't engage in worship. Practically speaking, when we come together, are are you prepared to worship God? Are you prepared to experience and encounter the presence of God? You know, Jen and I were out a couple of Saturday nights ago with the kids. We went to a movie at a theater in downtown Orlando on a Saturday night, which we never do. And we remember why we don't, because that's not our scene on a Saturday night. But we went down there and we saw all of these people coming out at about nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, starting to hit the streets. They were decked out. They had their look. They were heading into the temple, the, the clubs. Uh, to worship pleasure and position and all of those things. And again, I'm not trying to sound like a neat nick, nitpicky on, on that. I'm just saying that doesn't satisfy. If you've ever been in that life, you know, it doesn't give you what it promises. Okay. But I just thought for a second, look at all the preparation they've made. They're coming out early. They're coming out prepared. Some of them have been preparing all week for this moment. And I thought, wow, wow, what a, What a challenge to us as we gather. And the author of Hebrews is talking about, let us draw near to God. And then he says, therefore, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because when you understand that we can draw near to God, it changes the way you see gathering together. No longer is it just an event I show up to, but now I'm coming to encounter God. And I thought, man, if people prepare that much to go to their temple, how much more should we prepare to encounter God? Let me ask you this. How do you prepare? Are you preparing to encounter God? Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Uh, I know there's probably a little more preparation that goes into Easter Sunday than other times that we gather. But are you just showing up last minute? Are you are, are you coming in kind of you know, giving your the least? Are you coming in saying, I'm prepared, God, I want to worship you. I've prioritized it. I've prepared for it. That's worship. That's worship. 
The Bible talks about the man that found the pearl of great price. And the Bible says that for the joy of that pearl, he sold everything he had to pursue that. Why? Because it was worth it. It was worship. And we, when we recognize the life we long for is life with God, we become worshipers. Why do we lift our hands? Why do we clap? Why do we sing? Why do we dance? We're offering our bodies as worship to God. And so we respond in worship. And number four, we rejoice. We rejoice. Not only do we repent, receive, respond, but lastly, we rejoice. We experience what we've always longed for, the fullness of joy that comes in the presence of God. Because when you recognize that the good things can never take the place of God, you don't look for fulfillment in those good things, you become free to enjoy the good gifts that God has intended for you to have. And you experience joy to the full, or as Jesus says, eternal life. So I want to ask you as we prepare to close today, what are the things that are pulling on your heart? Is there some idols? Is there some luring um, temptations that are drawing you to false things. And I, I just wanted to expose some idols so that we can recognize them for what they are. Are, are there things that are pulling at you? Maybe it's you're, you're sacrificing your time because you believe if you just got to that place in your career, you'd be satisfied. Maybe you're sacrificing uh, in other ways, hoping to get to that place. Um, are you listening to some temptations? Second thing I want to ask you is, how are you responding to God's grace? Are you responding with passionate worship? Are you a casual responder? Are you passive? Or are you passionate in your worship to God? And I believe when we recognize what God has made available to Jesus, we will become passionate worshipers like the author of Hebrews says, that we will draw near with confidence. So I want to pray for you now as we prepare to close. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that when Jesus died, the veil was torn, the separation. Lord, we, although perhaps culturally that's not our experience of a temple, but God, thank you that we all can recognize that we have a longing for life. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember that you are the one that fulfills our every longing. And God, I pray that we would repent, that we would receive, that we would respond, that we would rejoice in all that you have done for us. Help us to draw near. Next Sunday as we gather together, God, let us draw near in confidence for all that you've accomplished for us. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray God blesses you. Hope you'll join us next Sunday as we celebrate Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. We'll look forward to seeing you then.